Hello, hello, and welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. One thing making me happy this week is that in two days, uh, the girls, Sloan and Delaney and I, are going on our first mother-daughter's road trip. Um, We are going through Idaho, eastern Washington and Idaho and into Utah uh, because when I was there for the Heartless musical, um, I saw a painting at an antique store and kind of fell in love with it and decided to buy it, even though it was huge and we couldn't bring it back on the airplane and I didn't want to pay for shipping. So we have decided to go on a little road trip. We're going to go, uh, go to a dinosaur museum. We were going to have lunch with my college roommate who I have not seen in ages. I'm super excited to see her. Um, I think we're going to maybe go out with some of the producers behind the Mar- behind the Heartless musical. And I am so, so looking forward to it. And just like, I don't know, being in the car and listening to hours and hours of audiobooks together, I think we are going to have a blast. I am also so happy to be talking to, to, to today's guest. She is the critically acclaimed author of the dystopian Article 5 trilogy. The Deceiver's Boarding School Thriller Series, and the standalones Pacifica, Metal Town, and The Glass Arrow. She has also co-written the gladiator fantasies Set Fire to the Gods and Rise Up from the Embers. Her newest, a YA horror, Find Him Where You Left Him Dead, came out last week. Please welcome Kristen Simmons. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I, I was going to try to tone down the enthusiasm, but I'm really, really excited. <laughs> Thank you so Not much. Not toning down necessary. I'm glad you're excited. I am also excited. You are one of those writers. We were actually just talking, I guess we did meet like 12 years ago, um, uh-huh. but I don't actually remember this. And you're one of those writers where I hear about you and like we have mutual friends in common, but this is our first time like getting to know each other. And I am so excited. I know. It's so awesome. It's so awesome to finally like formally meet you, I guess, and talk to you. And um, and yeah, not just cross uh, paths in the writer sphere, but like talk, talk. (laughs) It's going to be so fun. Uh, Thank you for joining me and congratulations on your new book coming out. Thank you. Uh, you. I know. So here we are on the eve of your launch as of this recording. Mm -hmm. Things going well? Are you excited? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And this book has been, um, this, this was kind of like a delayed release because there was like, you know, COVID and stuff that happened Mm, in the process of all this. So I feel like I've been waiting for this moment for a really long time. And now it's here. And I am just like, I'm I'm just overjoyed to have this book be able to be out in the world to scare people, basically. (laughs) Well, and what perfect timing coming up on Halloween. It is a great just like spooky, dark, creepy fall read. It was perfect. Yes. Yes. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a great, um, grab a blanket, grab some hot tea, um, and, and just like lock in for the night kind of book and let yourself be scared (laughs) and be terrified. All right, before we start talking about the book itself, I want to start by knowing your origin story. What are the the twists and turns of your life that brought you to being an author? Oh my gosh. Well, um, 
when you say origin story, I can't help but think villain origin stories. <laughs> That's what we're going for. All of my guests are villains. I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, let me start with my villain villain origin story. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I I think the twists and turns that led me to this um, are mostly about just growing up, being half Japanese, living in an area that is uh, predominantly white, and being the girl that was um, a, a little bit different and uh, trying to kind of wrap my mind around what that meant as I grew up and even, you know, into my adulthood was trying to figure out like who I am, how I fit in the world um, and what this means. And so I think that's kind of the basis for this story in these characters is trying to figure out who they are as people, who they are as friends um, and what that means to them personally. Uh, so that's kind of like the the deepest layer of all of this. Mm. Um, and then uh, one of the things that my son and I do, I have an 11 year old son and, um, and we have moved to an area that also doesn't have a huge Asian population. And so one thing that we do every week is we have a standing date called um, Japanese Tuesday, where we get together and we talk about what it means to be Japanese. And sometimes that means eating food. And sometimes that means uh, reading fairy tales and, and mythology. Um, sometimes that means, you know, learning new words or watching videos or consuming art um, and just finding different ways to learn about our culture together. Mm. And uh, for, for me to pass on the things that I know about our culture, since there's not, like I said, not a lot of influence from the outside where we live. And um, one of the things that he became just absolutely fascinated with were yokai. Mm. And uh, I, I think, I think like many people, he was just like, whoa, tell me more about this. <laughs> truly, so, truly, the Japanese have some of the best monsters and ghosts. Yes. They're so creepy. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so we became like, just like treasure hunters, just searching, searching, searching for information on yokai. And we learned about all different kinds. And there are about a million. We learned about, um, different monsters as well. Oni, which are, which are demons and, um, Shinigamis, which are like kind of, um, death reapers, like grim reaper reapers. Uh, we learned about all sorts of monsters and ghosts, like you said. And the more we talked about them, the more we kind of creeped each other out. And the more I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is the book. This is the next book is, is, is people who get stuck having to face these monsters, these yokai. Um, and so that is where Find Him Where You Left Him Dead really began. I love that. I would like to be invited to Japanese Tuesday. Yes, please. Come join <laughs> us. <laughs> that sounds the like a blast. <laughs> the more the merrier. Yeah, it's it's really fun and it's great. And And, you know, I mean, like, sometimes it's short and sometimes it's longer and we just... We really enjoy it. Yeah. So, and you mentioned that this was a COVID project, um, but I know your first book came out years and years ago, um, somewhere mm -hmm. around 2012, because we were published around the same time, our debut mm -hmm. novels around the same time together. Yeah. yeah. Um, before that, like, had you been working to become a writer for many, many years? Was it a dream from childhood? Did you go to school for writing? Like, oh how, gosh, how did that come about? Oh, 
oh, this is this is the origin story, right? This is your origin. You gave us the origins for the book. I want to hear your origin story. Here we go. Here we go. Sit down. <laughs> coffee. How much time we got? Okay. How much time we got? Yeah. No. So I um I think I always knew that I wanted to be um, a writer. I think from the time I was very long, uh, very young, I was writing short stories. I was writing stories about my dog. I was writing stories, you know, as a kid about, about people that I knew. And, and again, as kind of, um, a quiet person, a very shy person and a little bit of an outsider, I was starting to realize the power of making yourself a hero in those stories. So I was, I was kind of, um, I was writing those kinds of stories growing up. And then when I was in, um, when I was in high school, I had a teacher who kept one of my essays and he said, um, Kristen, I think you've got something here. And at the time I thought like, <laughs> that means I'm going to be a famous novelist. <laughs> you know, I mean, it That's was actually the clear. next step. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Naturally just advanced to that next step. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't truly, uh, I didn't truly grasp the meaning of it for a long time. So I, I ended up going to college. I, um, I got a degree, uh, in psychology and I got a master's in social work. And, and during this whole time, I am writing novels and, um, I was sending them out to literary agents trying to get bites. And the first novel I wrote, I sent out. I don't know, a stack of 20, um, email or 20, uh, letters because the, we weren't emailing mm. queries at that time. Old and, um, yep. yep. <laughs> and, um, and then every day I went to my mailbox and I waited and the post, uh, man delivered another rejection and another rejection and another rejection. And I got all no's and I kind of couldn't believe it because I thought like, I, I don't get this. Like, I am a novelist. I am a writer. Uh, you know, my teacher in high school saw it and, and I feel it. So why is that not translating? Like I wrote a book. Isn't that what you do? <laughs> and, um, and, and I, I kind of didn't get it, but you know, you carry on. So I wrote another book. I wrote another batch of queries. I sent them out and I think I doubled it at that point. And, uh, another huge, you know, batch of rejections, one after another, after another. And, um, it was sometime around then that I started getting very self-conscious and very ashamed of what I was doing because how, how can this person that I believe that I am, that I think that I am not be easily seen from the outside? Like what, what is this disconnect here? And I, I started having this, you know, crisis of confidence and also just like, misunderstanding of, of who I was and compared mm. to who I was presenting myself as. And it was really hard. Um, and, and, you know, can I pause and just ask about how please. far into your journey were you at this point? How many years? So we're talking at this point is probably two or three years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so again, like carry on, but this time I think around the third book I wrote, I really stopped talking to people about it. So I stopped telling people that I was writing a book. I stopped, um, you know, even my family talking about it. And, and it was something I very quietly did on lunch breaks and before work and after work. And, and again, I'm, um, I'm getting degrees to be, um, a social worker at this point, uh, mm. which I, which I loved and I did for many years and I loved. And, um, it was another batch of queries that I sent out, another round of rejections. And 
and just like further into that spiral of like, okay, maybe I'm not a writer mm. because I'm not getting published. And that's what it is, right? Like if you're a writer, you get published. So I must not be a writer. And it it was so painful. Those I just remember times just being like so hurt by that assumption that I had. And then and then I wrote another one. <laughs> because <laughs> you do, right? Like you just keep writing these books. Um and and again, another round of rejections. And then it was when I wrote my fifth book. I was driving home and there was this there was this protest outside of a bookstore and it was uh, the seventh Harry Potter had just come out and a bunch of people were out there protesting its release saying that it was, um, it was filled with witchcraft and we couldn't have children exposed to witchcraft. And I, I remember watching, I pulled over and I watched them and I was just so fascinated thinking like about censorship. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. this is like, you know, censorship is so in the news right now, but um, yeah. it wasn't as much then and I, you know, censorship and what that means. And I was thinking about, well, what if they succeed? What if there is no Harry Potter? And what if these kids grow up without that influence? And, and, um, you know, regardless which way you feel about that, like I just the idea of it and, and what would happen if you could censor more things and books and music and, and, uh, you know, media and start you know, fining people for them or arresting people for these offenses. And I went home and I wrote the first pages of what would later become Article 5. So I ended up writing that in just a flurry. And um, I sent out uh, another batch of of query letters. And I told myself, I remember telling myself, this is it. If this doesn't work, then, then it hurts too much. Like maybe this is it for me. And and I guess the planets aligned <laughs> because because I got um, I got a few bites, and that was the book that um, hooked me up with my agent, and that you know it sold. She was able to sell that as a trilogy um, after after a bunch of revision. We had to revise it quite a bit, but um, that was the book, the first book that was my start. Uh, and and now find him where you left him dead will be my 19th published 19th oh my gosh yeah so it took me 10 years uh, a solid 10 years from the time that i submitted my first book for um to agents with query letters to the time i actually held held my own novel in my hands yeah, yeah. and long, do you think if if article 5 had not sold mm-hmm. do you think that it really was going to be the last one? I don't think so. I think now looking back in hindsight, I think that, I think that you, you have a hard time. Like, I think I had a hard time with the the rejection and that was incredibly painful. But I think if you are something, you can't deny that thing, right? Like I am a writer. I woke up. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write. I saw things I wanted to put them in stories. I met people, they became characters. Like I am a writer. That is who I am. And it doesn't matter if I'm making money for it or if I'm not making money for it. Like I see the world as a story and that's how it's going to be. And I think that's true for for anyone. Like if you're if you're a basketball player, if you're a person that's an actor or you know whatever, like if you are something, it doesn't matter how many people tell you no. You are that thing. Like if you believe it, then you are. And, and I think at the end of the day, that's, that's what I would have realized 
it, it wouldn't have mattered if I had gone another 40 years not finding an agent or not being published. I am a writer. I just had to accept that 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 was true and it didn't matter what other people were saying about it. Yeah. No, so true. I know I often get asked, you know, if if you weren't a writer, what else would you be? Mm-hmm. And my answer is an aspiring writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's there's just never going to be a time where I think that I could have right. stopped. It's right. It, yeah, it's just in our blood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the part of us that's like you know, I would have stopped <laughs> is the part is the self-preservation, right? Is like the, oh, this is painful getting all this. Rejection. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. But the yeah. deeper part of us is like, nope. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, I do think that it can be healthy um, for a person to step back from maybe the dream of publication occasionally yeah. or the, the you know, the path we're trying to take, whether it's through, you know, querying agents or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to to step back and take a break from that if you need to recover emotionally. Um, and that that's fine and can be really good. But that doesn't change the fact that you're still a writer. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So now here we are. Number 19. I can't believe that. I'm on, I think I'm on 17. Um, and usually people are wowed by how many I've done in these last, 12 years and you beat me, Kristen. Oh, we've been at this eight, not by much. We've been at this a long time, girl. <laughs> um, so tell listeners what is find him where you left him dead about. Oh my gosh. Okay. Find him where you left him dead is about five kids who go into a cave messing around and find some cards and play a game. And one of them does not make it out. And years later, um, they are all visited by the ghost of that kid that did not make it out and told that if they finish the game, they may be able to save him. And if they don't finish the game, they're just going to be haunted to death. So they might as well go and finish the game. (laughs) Or trapped in this totally creepy, horrific game forever. (laughs) It's kind of like a lose-lose situation. So... They um they decide to play the game and realize that they have changed a lot over the years as a result of the trauma of losing this friend. Uh, and they learn that they have to work together if they're going to survive the night and survive the challenges um, in order to get out of the game. All right. So one thing that I love about this book is that we have a really fun, really dynamic cast of characters. And yeah. I, this is one of my, my, whether it's a trope or a, I don't even know what you would call it, but one of the things that just hooks me, if I know that I'm going to have um, an ensemble cast and I get to enjoy seeing the banter and the, the emotions and the anger and the drama, the conflict, all of that. Um, so for you, did you always know that it was going to be told from multiple point of views? Did you always know you were going to have this ensemble cast? Um, and how did you go about developing them and developing these characters? <laughs> yes, there are um, four points of view. I, I guess, yeah, four points of view. You're laughing and I don't know why. <laughs> because I just finished the the, the sequel to this and there's five. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
what do you think I maybe can guess who the fifth? I will tell you, Article Five, my first book, has one point of view. <laughs> I just, it's like, let's just add some more every year. Let's just add a few more. <laughs> Why not? Isn't that the case? I do think that as we get further into our career, we're constantly like, okay, now how can I make this really yeah. difficult for myself? Yes, yes. <laughs> and and one of my characters is a gamer, and I will tell you, like, she's kind of obsessed with the concept of leveling up. And and I feel like that's what we do as writers, right? Like, okay, time to level up. What is the new challenge for the next book? And, and one of the new challenges for this one, honestly, was a, was a rotating cast of characters. And I will say one of my favorite things as a writer is, is doing ensemble casts. Like, I love that. I love bringing in new perspectives. It becomes very challenging at times, especially when place, when people are in like different physical places and how to bring them all together you know, logistically, it, it mm-hmm. is a challenge. Um, but, but my writer heart really does love working out the dynamics between characters. And these characters have a lot of dynamics. Um, one thing, um, one thing that I did as a therapist, um, so I, I said I had a, uh, worked um, and got a master's degree in social work. And then I went on to become a mental health therapist. So a um, a licensed clinical social worker, if um, that's familiar to anybody. But um, one of the things that I did during that time is I worked with uh, soldiers who were returning from combat uh, who had PTSD. Mm-hmm. And um, so the concept of PTSD has always been really um, I- important to me and fascinating to me. And PTSD, but also just trauma, like responses to trauma. And so these people have been traumatized. These four main characters have been traumatized by losing this friend when they were young. And as a result, their personalities have shifted in a way that all the things that bound them together as kids, they've now gone the opposite direction away from. So now that they're forced to interact again, those bonds that were so tight when they were young have now been just severed and they have to rebuild them in order to survive. And that was so fun for me to work on. Um, you know, she says with a wicked laugh. Um, I, I really enjoyed, enjoyed that, uh, that dynamic of like people who talk to each other, who remember who they used to be, but now can't stand each other because they're so different. Mm. And are they really different at the heart or are they reacting out of self-preservation and just trying not to let this horrible thing happen again. And that is something that all four characters have, have learned, um, and have, and are having to deal with in this story. So I have, I have Emerson, who was like the smartest girl in school, very social, very, um, supportive of friends. As a result of this, she's now a complete loner. She's obsessed with game worlds. She's obsessed with gaming strategy. She is has dropped out of school. She is alone. I have, um, Madeline who, uh, was just like happy to be everyone's friends, brave, daring, um, a real adventurous person. Um, as a result of this, she has become meticulous about rules and terrified of breaking those rules because you know, what happens when you break rules, terrible things happen. Mm. So she, she is an athlete um, her whole life is about attending to details and, you know, being the best, um, and not failing under any circumstances. And then I have Owen who was shy and reserved and a clumsy kid, 
who has just absolutely gone headfirst into acting because acting is safe because you don't have to show who you really are. You can be somebody else. And that has become his safe place. But does anybody really know him? Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, who, who am I missing? Dax. <laughs> Dax. <laughs> and then there's Dax who, um, has just a lot of baggage. <laughs> I guess I can't say too much about him and his baggage, but he is a lot of baggage and, and has also changed as a result of this loss. And, you know, it's just kind of wandering at this point. And he's, you know, he's become a musician and he's, you know, kind of attending to those rules and those um, laws of music, because that's kind of all he has to hold on to. But he also, he needs this friendship so desperately, but just will deny it at every turn and just rely on his sarcasm. So he doesn't have to face the reality of his life. Yeah. So do you do a lot of character work and have a really firm grasp on who each of these characters is before you start writing the book or are you kind of developing them and learning about them as you go? Um, I think I have a pretty good grasp before I go in, but, um, but I did work on them a lot with my editor afterwards. So I, I wrote it, um, I wrote this story and I worked on, um, the characters and who, who they were and who they'd become, but then editing became all about like drawing out those character traits to, to just razor sharp, Hmm. you know, levels so that who they were just really, really came through. Yeah. And what about Ian? Because Ian is the the boy that got left behind that's now Mm -hmm. kind of haunting them that they go back into the game, wondering if maybe they can save him in some way. And we get like little glimpses of Mm -hmm. who Ian was and what their relationships were to him and how he was kind of like the, the, hub of their little group um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was he also a character that you spent a lot of time thinking about before you'd started writing ian i will say that's interesting ian uh really evolved kind of later on in the process and i think because he wasn't on page as much um he was kind of elusive to me until i got to the point when all of the characters have their breaking points and realize, holy crap, we need to rely on each other, right? Like Mm -hmm. we need to leave all this stuff behind and come together. And, and it, it hit me then. And I think, I think he is like so many people in so many friend groups. There is, there's that one person that connects you, right? There's the glue in every friend group. Oh, he's how I know her. And he is the reason we all come together because he loves this restaurant or whatever it is, right? There's always that one person that is the, that can segue between everyone that can, that connects everyone in your group. And Ian was that Ian was the glue. And so when, when a traumatic thing happened, especially a traumatic thing that happened to Ian, they all fell apart. They all went the opposite direction and nothing was there to hold them. Did you have a favorite to write from a favorite perspective? <laughs> um, gosh, I really loved writing from them all. Um, I really love writing Dax because he's so sarcastic. 
And, and actually Emerson is very sarcastic too. So I, I loved her. She has this tough exterior, but like, she's like the, the burned marshmallow, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's <laughs> crunchy on the outside, but she's all goo in the middle and she doesn't want anyone to see. And that is my favorite kind of character to write. The, my, like my absolute favorite. And then Owen is such like a, just like a playboy actor, just thinks he's so much cooler than he is. <laughs> I love them all, Marissa. I love them all. That's a poor answer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I want to ask a question. I'm going to have to tiptoe around some things because, of course, we avoid spoilers. Um, There are a couple of really big twists. Mm -hmm. And I did not see them coming. I will just say that. I was very surprised and absolutely delighted with them. Were you, did you always know? Were you always working toward those? Do you ever get surprised by your own twists? Um, I would say, okay, so for this book, one of the twists totally surprised me. The other one I had planned from the very beginning. I love that the other one surprised me because it only surprised me because of of the twist that I knew was coming if that makes sense. So that was one thing that I, I, I was like, oh my gosh, and now this can happen. <laughs> like, oh, amazing. I love that. I want to know which was which. You'll have to tell me off, off the recording. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about, uh, so you mentioned how a lot of this sprang up out of, um, Japanese Tuesdays. Uh-huh. And there is, it's very rich in Japanese mythology. Yes. Um, when did you, were there times, I mean, I assume there have to be, but maybe not. I could be wrong. Um, were there times when you kind of struggled with like, how much do I keep from Japanese mythology? How much do I deviate and go my own course? Uh-huh. Um, like, how are those decisions made? Uh-huh. I played, I I will say I played with it a lot. Um, I I did not feel particularly bound to, uh, you know, to tell the stories exactly as they are in mythology. Um, for people that are are familiar with Japanese mythology, um, Izanami makes an appearance, the goddess of death. Um, I have Kuchisaki, uh, who is a is a character, um, <laughs> Kuchisaki Ono, who wears a mask. Uh, the the old stories there's a mask over her face but she hides a cut face beneath and she asks people if they think she's pretty and if they say yes she takes off the mask and shows them and then cuts their face to match it and if they say no she just kills them (laughs) so another great lose-lose situation um like a pleasant lady yes a real pleasant (laughs) lady you know there's a guy that comes out of toilets and you know there's all kinds of yokai that are just so delightfully terrible and um exciting and disgusting and I just wanted to pull threads from all of them honestly like I wanted to just take the parts that I found most exciting and make it in to a story that that felt right to me. So I I would say it's all inspired by Japanese mythology. It's not retellings of Japanese mm-hmm. mythology. And um, I think that has to do a lot with being a person of mixed heritage myself. And, you know, as a person of mixed heritage, I pull sides of, of my own upbringing in my own life 
into everything I do. And so that was a big part of the story is, is pulling on the threads that, that, that made a complete world for me. I really appreciated how you kind of tackled this, this challenge. Like when you're writing, um, a world that's pure fantasy, then, Uh you know, readers just expect it. You know, we know we're in a magical world and we just go along with the magic. Whereas in this book, you are combining contemporary, the real world with normal contemporary teenagers who then fall into this magical fantasy world. Um, And so there's like, it brings up these, these questions like, but how is this possible? And where are we? And how did we get here? And I love that you never really answer it, but you give like potential answers. Like maybe it's an alternate universe. Maybe it, you know, um, this world created our world. Maybe our world created this world. Like, and I love that you kind of play with these different possibilities. Yeah. At the same time, knowing that it doesn't really matter. That's not the point of this story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I and I think a big part of that was was the um the character was the was knowing the reader would be figuring out the story alongside the characters. So it really is, the story really is like a hot rush to the finish, like trying to solve these challenges, trying to solve this game, trying to escape these dangerous yokai that are all very murderous and want you dead. Um, But also like, where are we? And how did we get here? And what is this place? And yeah, as an author, I don't, I don't tell you anything. You have to figure it out right there alongside the characters. And they are really trying to puzzle it out as they go through because it's essential to their survival. So I wanted, I wanted readers to feel that pressure too, right? Like even if we don't know the answers to things, I want you to feel the pressure that they're feeling of being lost in this place that they don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. And you also, you set yourself up for another interesting challenge because you even say um, at various points in the story that this world changes. It's, like, it's almost like a living thing where it kind of yeah. adapts to whoever is playing the game. And yeah. it's like, of course, in, in writing fantasy, we talk a lot about how magic has to have a set of rules. Um, uh-huh. Do you feel that your magic has a set of rules? Did you overly complicate yourself that for yourself? Yeah. Or how did you how did you kind of, I don't know, formulate that? Well, I will say, Marissa, I do love to overcomplicate. <laughs> you, you are right about that. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, I think I think a big idea from this book and something I I worked on a lot and something that my editor and I talked a lot about is is the fact that this world that they fall into is is a living world and it a big concept um, which doesn't really make it onto page, but, but I wanted people to feel is this idea, um, in, in, um, Japanese Shintoism, which is, which is the idea of Kami, which is the idea that there is a living spirit in all things. And that is what Miedo is, what this world and this game they fall into is. It is a constantly evolving land world filled with spirits and, and as the game progresses, the game is feeling them and reading them and changing with them and what they know and what they believe. Mm. And so, so as terms of like 
the hard rules of magic. And, and that is something I have struggled a lot with in books before too, right? Is yes, create a magic system, have your rules. Yes, yes, yes. Um, this story was different. This story definitely was like, what are the beliefs that I want to impart onto the story? Well, one of them is, is not necessarily a traditional Western belief about fantasy. One of them is a more Eastern belief that there is a living, changing spirit in this land that these people have fallen into. And how will that adapt as they go through it? Hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I love that just element of it too, um, because it really does, you know, you kind of, it's, you feel like there are set rules at the beginning. Okay. Mm -hmm. Seven challenges. You defeat the seven challenges. You get your Mm -hmm. friend back. Maybe you get to go home. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but as you learn that things are changing and you kind of start to get this feeling that like, oh, this world is just messing with them. They're just being manipulated. These poor children. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And, and that was one thing also that was, was really important to the story too, right? Like is there are, the world is changing and shifting beneath them, but the game is still operating as a game. Mm-hmm. You have to complete the challenge, solve what, solve what's going on to get the prize. Yeah. Once you get the prize, you level up, right? How did Go you, to the next challenge. How did you come up with what the challenges were going to be? That took more work. <laughs> that, ooh, yeah. So I had I had challenges, and then I went, and my editor and I had a lot of meetings where we were like, let's look at these challenges some more. <laughs> and we spent a lot of time working on them, and and the prizes for the challenges, which I I won't say what they are, but the prizes took a lot of time to like kind of figure out what they would be, and um you know, just kind of just make it as gross as possible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of people, when they say, how scary is this book? I always say, oh, I don't think it's scary. It's pretty gross though. Grotesqueness <laughs> to it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like that body horror that like that, that scary monster horror. This, yeah. this is a book you're not going to have to wait till the last page to figure out who the, who the scary bad guy is this is a book there's going to be a monster in the first chapter and, and you're going to every see monsters chapter after that. yes and every chapter after that you're going to see them they're going to be right there and they're going to be oozing and dripping and bleeding and being gross yeah <laughs> i love that you also you refer to the the prizes i guess as prizes so like they, this yeah. is not a prize that anybody wants <laughs> <laughs> you don't want an eyeball what's wrong with you <laughs> Another one. <laughs> um, okay, I have like eight million more questions on my my list of questions for our chat today, but we are running out of time. So the last thing I want to talk about before our bonus round, uh, I am so excited that this is a duology because yes. you leave us on a bit of a cliffhanger. How mm-hmm. is book two coming along? Oh my gosh. I am so delighted to say that I just finished my revisions for book two yesterday. So congratulations! Thank you so much. I am so delighted to have those done before um, the first book launches and before I go on tour, uh, and so I can be able to, like, you know, just just have that freedom to be like, oh. I know what happens. <laughs> I know what happens. 
to all these people that I'm about to torture for you. Oh, God. <laughs> so there's something really, really delightful and sadistic about that. But yes, I just finished edit. So that will be going back to my editor soon. And I am so happy with where it is and how it all wraps up. I'm so happy with it. I love that. That's one of the the most joyful moments in the whole writing process when you not only like hit that milestone, but when you hit that milestone and feel really good about it. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Did you always have a plan for book two or did you like write book one and then think, oh, now I need to figure out the next step? Yeah. Yeah. I I had a really basic plan for book two Mm -hmm. um, because I knew how I wanted Essentially, I knew how I wanted it to end and a couple turning points, um, but I I didn't have all the details figured out. And I remember talking with my editor early on in the process of book two and me being like, I think it's going to get weird. (laughs) (laughs) And her saying, her saying, Kristen, anyone that reads book one is going to expect it to be weird. (laughs) That is very true. That is very true. You've set some expectations. Yes, yes. And yeah, it gets weird. I can promise you that it gets real weird. I'm so looking forward to it. All right. Are you ready for our bonus round? I'm so ready. I'm I don't know what it's gonna be and I don't know I don't know anything about it, but I am just so ready. <laughs> All right. What book makes you happy? What book makes me happy? Um, oh my gosh, A House in the Cerulean Sea. Oh, I just got Spoon. that one. I've got it on my shelf. I haven't read it yet. Oh my gosh, what read it right now. It's so it's so good on this podcast. I read it a while ago, but I recently just um gave it to my mom. And I'm like, mom, you have to read this. You're going to love it. And she did. She did. It's just, it's everything. All right. Now that book two is almost wrapped up, what are you going to be working on next? I have a story that is, um, I won't say too much about it, but I, I'm really proud of this story. This is a story that I've been working on that is about my great grandmother's internment in a, um, in, in a camp in world Mm. war two. So she, she's Japanese. She was interned, um, for the whole of, uh, world war two in a camp in Texas. So it's about that. Well, interesting. We just went to, um, we have an annual fair, the big, uh, Washington state fair happens really close to us. So we go every year, um, and the fairgrounds were used as an internment camp um, oh, during yeah. World War uh-huh. II. And so it's always this like just totally weird thing for me to be walking around the fairgrounds. I love the fair. I look forward to it every year. But there's always that little bit of like, but it has a really sad history, this yeah. place to it, this yeah. place where we now have so much joy and laughter. And it's, yeah. yeah. That's kind of wonderful though, right? Like the, look at look at what this has evolved into like respect the history of it of course but also like something good has come here yeah no that's a good way to think about it yeah lastly where can people find you oh my gosh you can find me at i'm mostly on instagram um it's k r i s 10 w r i t e s so chris 10 writes uh that's instagram I'm on Facebook and um, you can always go to my website, which is kristensimmonsbooks.com. Awesome. Kristen, it was such a joy to have you today. Oh, same, same. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. 
Readers, definitely check out Find Him Where You Left Him Dead, perfect for the Halloween season coming up. Uh, and it is out now. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore. But if you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store. That is at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. And don't forget to check out our merchandise on Etsy, Instagram, and TeePublic. Next week, I will be talking with John Connolly about his long-awaited sequel to The Book of Lost Things, titled The Land of Lost Things. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram, at Marissa Meyer Author, and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay inspired, keep writing, and whatever life throws you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.